today. So I'm talking about Hanukkah for a bit. We don't have that much time. And maybe at the end we'll light the candles in our house with everybody. It's a big mitzvah, so we'll do that as well, even though most of you probably have lit at home. Uh, if you haven't, maybe you can do the bracha. Did anyone not light yet today? Okay, so now we're going to have a competition. Maybe do a, do a coin uh, competition. Oh, you should get a Hanukkah like ours. It's pretty heavy. I do have a pretty cool Hanukkah that I made myself. No, you're lifting weights. That's a, oh, it's good oh, weights too. Yeah, no, you're lifting the candles. Okay. Put them in the so, I'm doing this for the healing of a close friend of ours again. His name is Shmuel Chaim Ben Isha. So, this is a healing for him. And we're going to be talking today's talk for his healing. And Lahavdil bin Chaim Lemetim to separate those that are alive to those that are not alive anymore. This is also in the memory of Edith Bat Miriam, somebody donated for this week um, some money so that we can do Taco Tuesday this week, in the memory of his mom, and her name was Edith Bat Miriam. So anything that I talk about tonight should be in her memory and for her blessing as well. Amen. Okay, so here's uh, some discussion about Hanukkah, maybe things you may have heard from me already. Uh, may, maybe not, some of you are new here, so hopefully this is going to be an interesting discussion and what we can learn from the whole story of Hanukkah. So, uh, it starts off like this, this is my uh, introduction. So I don't want to go into like the details of Hanukkah and the story, even though that is a whole study in itself, the history of Hanukkah is a study in itself, but I do want to talk about the way that holidays work. So, we have a rule that we don't just have Jewish holidays for no reason. There are many miracles that happen to the Jewish people that we do not celebrate. Like with Joshua, there was a story with the sun that kept shining and changed its course. There was a, those stories of Kfitzat Aderech, of um, prophets where their, their journey went short. There were many miracles. Actually, in the temple itself, the rabbis say that there were 10 miracles constantly that were constantly happening. Like, for instance, the dimensions were way bigger of the, some of the vessels that were in the temple were way bigger than the size of the temple itself. Like the Aron, the Ark, was bigger than most of the space in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies, yet everything would manage to fit there. There was a lot of miracles happening. All the Jews would manage to fit in there and lay flat on the floor and miracles would happen. So, you know, miracles in Jewish history is very big. There's a lot of miracles in Jewish history. And this really begs the question, why are we celebrating this little miracle that happened with the lights? There were many. There was also a lot of witchcraft happening throughout all the time of our, most of our history. During the pagan times, it wasn't like people were foolish and they just served this random god. There were a lot of miracles as well that they were able to do. There were stargazers, there was a lot of witchcraft, lots of miracles in the world history uh, that people don't talk about enough. Yes? I was going to say, all those miracles you just mentioned, like outside of the Beit HaMikdash and during those times, are those like generally part of the Apocrypha? Or are they talked about mostly during Midrashim? Or... They're in the Midrash, there's in the Torah, there's in the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, it's all over the place. The Torah is full of miracles that we don't actually celebrate the 
the period when it happened. Because there's not such a thing as just celebrating a time. In Jewish history, we always look and we see the energy of the time that we're in. So what's the energy of Hanukkah? Okay, it says that when Adam was created, uh, that was during Rosh Hashanah, right? Rosh Hashanah, Yom Harat Olam. That was when Adam was created according to Jewish tradition. He got nervous. He saw that as days were going along, he saw that things were getting darker and darker. And what did he start thinking? He thought, we're coming to the end of the world. Ever since Adam was born, humanity's been thinking, we're coming to the end of the world. (laughs) Adam was the first one, and as each day went darker and darker and darker, he got more and more worried, until Chanukah. Why? Chanukah is the time, this is all before the story of Chanukah, way before the story of Chanukah. Chanukah is an energy, a certain energy in the air. It's a time where it's at the end of the month, which means that the moon is at the smallest that it could be. Right, the moon starts off very, very small, then gets bigger. Halfway through the month, it's at full. Then it goes small again, right? And then it starts the new month. And then it goes halfway. And then halfway through the month, it goes to fullest, and then it goes small again, right? That's how the moon works. When is Chanukah? Chanu Chafhei. It was on the 25th of Kislev of this month. And on that day, it's the darkest time of the year. The sun is the shortest. The daytime is very, very short. Especially if you live in England. Here, at least, it's not so bad. But in some places, it gets really dark very, very early, like 3 o'clock. England gets dark at 3.30. Can you imagine? Yeah, and it's the opposite in the summer. It it's in the summer. Forever. In the summer, it'll go dark by like 10, 11, depends where you are uh, in England. But it'll get dark. Also, the, the time period before sundown and sunset is very, it's very long also. But that's another whole thing. So every year, Hanukkah is in the most... Hanukkah falls on the, mo- the darkest time of the year, which means it's from the 25th. Solstice. Right, where the 25th is the end of the month. And it goes on for eight days. So that means it goes on till the next month. And on Tevet already, we're now on Sunday is going to be Rosh Chodesh, the yeah. new month. And again, this, the moon is at its shortest and it's in the shortest of the days. And from Hanukkah onwards, the day starts going longer. Well, to be, I guess to be like yes. more... Precise, like the winter solstice, I think is a Gregorian concept too, and it always falls on the 21st of December. It's supposed to always be the shortest day of the year, but I don't know if that's how it actually works out every year. Yeah, okay. I don't want to dismiss everything that the Gregorian calendar does, but uh, one thing's for sure, that we definitely know that there's been a tremendous influence from Judaism onto the holiday of lights and celebrating lights and Christianity and what it does. Huge influence from Judaism itself. And I keep saying that, so that might discredit me, but you don't need to hear it from me. Maybe you should hear it from people that aren't Jewish, like Paul Johnson or someone else, uh, that keeps talking about how Jews have influenced the world. Okay, so anyway, this is the darkest time. And in this time, we celebrate Hanukkah, which is light. Very interesting. Which means that already from Adam, before Hanukkah, way before Hanukkah, there was a special thing about this season, about this energy. We see this also by uh, Abraham. It says that when Abraham had three guests, remember this? 
Abram has a tent and he has guests coming and he says, come, come in. I want you to come to my house. Come eat by me. They sit with him and he says, Meher lushi ogot. let's make bread. And our rabbis say, what bread was it? Special types of ogot we see from other places. It was called matzah. He made matzah. And it says, it was on, it was on the night of Passover. And Abraham was eating matzah on the night of Passover with these three angels. What's the problem with that? Passover didn't happen yet. Passover was going to happen way later. But a rabbi say that already from Pas- Passover was celebrated way before. What? How? What's matzah? Matzah is celebrating the freedom. Right? The slavery. It's remembering the slavery and celebrating the freedom. So how can it be that Abraham is celebrating Passover before Passover happens? And what's the answer? Because it's not about when it happens. It's the date. The period of time has an energy. And if anyone's able to plug into that energy, you can get the same energy that you would get on Passover every year. That means that if on Hanukkah that we are right now, we're plugging into the same energy that was back then because it's that certain period of time, which is absolute darkness, thinking that it's the end and suddenly light comes out. Suddenly the day changes and it gets longer. It's about the energy of the time. It's about the energy of the time. Passover is about the energy of the time. Even before, that's why when does Passover happen in the spring? It's like the trees are dead. Everything feels and seems like gone. Suddenly everything blossoms. And that's exactly the time that the Jews leave Egypt. That's a coincidence. But it's not a coincidence. According to Jewish teaching, the time is what influenced Passover. Not the other way around. And it says that in the morning when you wake up, there's a special energy in that time. It's etratzon, especially at the time when it's nets. Hachama, which is when the sun starts coming out. I don't know if anyone is up at that time, but when you do get up at that time, now it's a bit easier. There's a special energy. I don't know if anyone's been to the Koten at Netzachama. Tremendous energy. When the sun starts coming out, before the sun comes out, you go to the Koten, you start hearing birds. There's energies in every single time of the day, and Judaism believes very much in that. And we can, if we're able to plug in to those energies, we can actually gain different strengths for the day and for our lives as well. Interesting. So Hanukkah is a time when absolute darkness and then there was a light that came in and it changed for the better. So here is the question. Okay. What is Hanukkah? What's the energy of Hanukkah that we need to plug into of light in darkness? And what is light? And what is darkness? What is this energy that we're trying to plug into? And maybe how can it help us? That's, that's the question that we need to ask. I'm not going to spend too long on tonight because I know it's late. But here is the question. What is darkness? And what is darkness in comparison to light? So here's some interesting thoughts. First of all, the Greeks, it says in the Torah, in Judaism, we, we learn... That in the beginning there was light. By the way, the word light in the Torah comes up in the 25th word. It happens to be the first time you see the word or in Hebrew. Vayhi or. Vayhi is also gematria of 25. 
And or, yes, Vayehi is 25. Make the calculation. Vav, Vav is 6, Yud is 10, He is 5, and Yud is 10. How much is that? 25. I believe That's 31. <laughs> that is 31. <laughs> Don't record this. <laughs> Yehi, maybe. Yehi is how much? Yehi? Yehi is 25. Not Vayehi? Yehi. Okay, Yehi. Oh, this is brought down in the Sefer of, um, in the book of a big Kabbalistic teacher, the Benish Chaim. Yehi is the word for it shall be, and that adds up to 25. Or is the 25th word of the Torah. If you count 25 words, you have to take me, you have to trust me now. But if you do count 25 words, you'll get to the word or. That will be the 25th word. And it's interesting. Or is a match of 207. That's different. I don't know what that represents. Maybe Eitan can tell you. So, uh, but, uh, or is the 25th word. And that represents the 25th of Hanukkah. Okay. Actually, the light that we got, which was uh, of the day, the sunlight, which we have, was what day in Jewish teaching? Right. According to the Bible. What day was the sunlight given? Huh? The first day, second day, third day, or fourth? Fourth. That's why I stopped there. It's the fourth day. First day, second day, third day, or fourth? Huh? Fourth. On the fourth day, we got the sun, the moon, the two big lights, and all the stars, right? Which, by the way, defines that time didn't actually, uh, can't be described in the way we define time. Right? Because if only on the fourth day did you have all the stars, then you can't define time by 24 hours. So what was time in the first day? Much longer than 24 hours, according to many opinions. Right? Until the fourth day is only when you actually have the stars. So for those that ask, how can it be that according to the Bible, right, the Torah last, the world was created in six days, Right? The world was created in six days on the seventh God rested. How can it fit in with the scientific understanding? Gerald Schroeder Schroeder explains that uh, only on the fourth day did we actually get all the stars. What influences time? Matter. Right? But what defines 24 hours for us? The median time the sun is shining on earth. Right? You've got 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night time. A day is defined by the sunlight and the stars. And time is defined uh, by the stars. Not that it gives us time by reality. Just that when we have stars, we're able to dictate how time works. Like the speed of time. The, you know, the, how we can measure an hour. How we can measure a year. Seasons. They're all defined by the stars. Right? The moon. The sun influences the seasons. So... Time, yes, anyone, anyone get what I'm saying? Technically speaking, it's like the distance of the earth from the sun, uh, but anyway, they didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, the way we no, what do you mean? Exactly, without the sun. Like so they changed it to being uh, how much like atoms vibrate. So yeah, yeah, that, no, that's how a second, that's how a second is defined. Yeah. By the way, according to Jewish teaching, we define a second, we define a sec, a t- an hour into 1,024 parts, not into 60. 
parts. So you know, um, we so do find seconds are the different from different different seconds than uh, physical. We have a whole different definition, and it's also very very scientific. So, uh, but anyway, that's another whole thing. How do we define time? It doesn't matter. The fact that this, the sun influences and the moon influences how we measure time, like how we look at a season, right? Seasons are defined by the sun and the stars and everything that... Right, Omri? It's good? Okay. Right, and Earth spins around what? The sun. Right. So if you don't have that... And you don't have... That's true. It's on, its, it's on an orbit. So if you don't have the whole entire system of orbit, then you don't have, you can't define time the way we, we do without that entire thing in place. Okay, so even though it was all created right from the beginning, everything was created in the first point of creation, according to Jewish teaching. Everything was created right from the beginning, but eventually developed into its place that it's in. Okay, it started as one speck with everything in it, started with zero, right? Ex nihilio, it's called, where it started with nothing and then came something. And that something was very, very small. And in that very small something, it had everything in it. The entire universe was in this very small thing. The sun, the heavens, the earth, the entire universe was in this small speck. And eventually things spread out to where it is today, the way we see it, okay? Still spreading out, by the way, the Milky Way is still expanding, but that's another whole discussion. There's a science, there's actually a book that a physicist wrote, which ties in, who ties in everything that the Torah teaches into how uh, science teaches it. Science is a bit off, they've got something to learn, but whatever, that's another discussion. Um, Are talking about, uh, what's his face, Greens? Well, Gerald Schroeder. Oh, no, I was thinking of a different book. So no, on, the no. fourth, on the fourth day, I don't want to get too much into this, because uh, then you'll realize I don't know what I'm talking about. So Gerald Schroeder, Gerald Schroeder that's his name. You should look up his book. It's very interesting. Um, but on the fourth day was when actually all the stars came to be. So on the first day, God created light, it says. What light was that? If on the fourth day he created the sun and the moon and all the stars. So what was the light that was created on the first day? Huh? He didn't create light on the first day. He only created it on... Well, he created everything in the first speck, but he, did, he only created the sun and all the stars on the fourth. So what was... Was he creating on the first day? It was the separation of light and dark, right? So there was still light and dark. There was. He created light, right? And there was a separation of darkness and light once you have light. Well, there's another whole discussion of what came first. like a metaphor for like the internal light? Yes. The, actually, the... So according to the Zohar, Kabbalistically... Light represents the light behind everything. Okay, so there's an energy that's behind every bit of matter that has some form of light. That uh, the Zohar explains that that's exactly the light that was created. But on a Kabbalistic level, even deeper, it's called the Or Haganuz. There was this very powerful inner light that had to be hidden. And what is that? The light of spirituality. Okay, so the very first day when God created light, what was that? The light of spirituality. And on Hanukkah, we're trying to bring out that light as well. Okay, we're trying to bring it. What? Oh, no, no, no. Because only... No, no, no. The Big Bang, they also don't know what happened before the Big Bang. 
right? They don't know what happened before. Um, but in, it's not the big one. The, the light was the first, the light was the second thing that God said there should be. The very first thing God said was in the beginning. Okay, in the beginning, there was the heavens and the earth, the entire uh, creation. And then God said to what was already created, because you don't talk to something that's not created, right? Even though talking is only a metaphor. God said, let there be light. So he was speaking to what was already created for it to come out and bring itself into reality. Okay, so one of the explanations is, Oh, Haganuz, the tzaddikim, a very special, special light that is hidden. And we can access this light and energy through study of Torah, for getting close to God and spirituality. Okay, so there's an added light in the atmosphere. And that was the light of Hanukkah that we're celebrating as well. Okay, so um, let's just talk about darkness versus light, okay? In reality, when, something, when you're in a dark room or if you're in a room with light, everything's the same. Just you can't see it, right? If I'm in this room, suddenly it goes pitch black. There's I want, now. Yeah, there's, it's left to my imagination. If it's very, very dark, I don't know if anyone here has been to the Blind Museum in Tel Aviv. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so dope. <laughs> really? Okay. That's the first time I've heard it described that way. But, <laughs> but the Blind Museum is a the, the Blind Museum is an experience where it's you're not allowed to have any even a minute amount of light. So when you go in a place which is so dark that not even an ounce of light can get in from any corner, you really are you really feel blinded, right? And it's a, it's a scary experience, to say the least. What? You're practically blind. Yeah. You're blind. That's what they're trying to do. And the people that are guiding you are blind themselves. So um, definitely worth experiencing for just to understand what it is to have eyesight and to be blessed to be able to see. Um, but on this on this uh, walk in the blind museum, you don't get to see a thing, right? And in that darkness. This is what the Ramchal says. There's two things that can happen. When you're in absolute darkness, you can have two things. One is, you don't see what's in front of you. You just don't see reality at all. And the other, maybe this is when you have a little bit of light facing you or something. But the other is, where you see reality as something else. So which is, like, let's say you see a doorpost, you think it's a person. Or you think it's a person, you see a person, you think that's a doorpost. You walk straight into it. Oh, you know, you get confused. If someone steals the art, you'd never know. Huh? If someone steals the art, you'd never know. Right. Oh, that's right. What movie is that from? Someone Van Gogh or something? Is that the painting that they stole? Yeah. Uh, I think there's a movie from somewhere where they put everything in dark and they steal and they say oh, that. Oh, it's, it's like, been in a bunch of things. Like... Italian job. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, uh, what was I saying? Um, so when you're in darkness, you can either see, not see at all, or you can appear, you can think of something as what it is, but really it's something else. Okay? It says that the darkness that was at the beginning was the darkness that eventually the Greeks brought into the world. Similar darkness. I told you that the light that the Hanukkah gives us is a spiritual light. And the darkness that we fought against, which was the Assyrian Greeks, not the Greeks of today and not the Greeks of our previous history. We're talking about the Assyrian Greeks all the way back before Rome, before all of it, right? There was the Assyrian Greeks. They were the ones that started. 
Yes. Uh, but, you know, they were the ones from Alexander the Great already that started um, this ideology of what we have today, which is the Western society, the Western civilization. They were really the ones that started that kind of mentality. And one of the things that they did was they brought a certain darkness to the world. And I want to talk about this darkness. You see, that light that we light on menorah is the opposite. And the darkness, like I said, there's two things. Either it doesn't let us see reality, or it changes reality into something else. Now, what did the Greeks, the Assyrian Greeks, try to do to the Jewish people? They said, we don't want to kill you. We like the Jews. We like their wisdom. We wanted you to assimilate. We want you to be like us. We want your wisdom. They actually were the first people to translate the Bible. They were the first ones to translate the Torah. Do you know this? It was, the Talmud says that the day that Talmai HaMelech, Talmai the king, there were basically Alexander the Great. I'm sure you've heard of Alexander the Great. He was very young when he died. He was in his 30s when he died. And he left four different kingdoms that eventually spread. One of them was uh, the king that was Antiochus, the one that took over the Jewish people during the story of Hanukkah. These four different kings spread around the Middle East and, and beyond. And they, this was during the time of the Second Temple. And they were the ones that were the first people to translate the Torah. It says that was a very dark time for the Jewish people then. Also, again, darkness doesn't only represent physical darkness. It represents a, a, a darkness in spirituality, a light that was put out. And the light of Hanukkah is the opposite. Now, what was it that they did? They switched something that we think is real, is something, something that we think is right, and then it's not. What was that? Well, what their philosophy believed was that, and we'll see what they took away from us, right? They took away Shabbat. They didn't want us to keep Shabbat. They didn't want us to have circumcision. And they didn't want us to keep Rosh Chodesh, the new month. These specific three things, we'll see why. It was these three things that they didn't want us to have. And they said, we're going to cause darkness to the Jewish people. In what area? We like your wisdom, but we don't want you to have the spirituality in your wisdom. And that's why it brought darkness to the world. When they translated Judaism, what happens when you translate the Torah? You lose some of the meaning. You lose the meaning. I wonder if that's part of the reason why like, uh, Christianity was so embraced by... Greeks over the years because they already had translated like a good chunk of the Old Testament. Of course, and um, it, the Roman culture is a branch of like the, the Bible in Greek before it was even in Latin. Yes, so. and the the Romans are a branch of Greece, right? That's where they started. So it's a pass down. It really, really was. Um, but anyway, uh, what was I saying? So. They brought tremendous darkness. What was that? The day that they translated the, the Torah into Greek, it was a day of darkness. Why? Because when you look at Hebrew, the language has multiple ways of understanding many words. I always give the example of panim in Hebrew. If you look at the Torah, it has no vowels in it. The word panim in Hebrew also means prim, inside. In Hebrew, when you look at a word without vowels, it has many meanings to it. And... What they did was, they took the Torah, made it into another language. That's why, by the way, when someone comes to me and argues with me about Isaiah 53 or someone who's from Christian or outside of the Jewish faith, right? And they're arguing with me about their 
their understanding of the Bible. I say, do you read Hebrew? Do you know Hebrew? So they say, no. I said, do you know the first word of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible, like in, he- in Hebrew? Uh, what, what, what was it again? Like, this is a, a well-versed... I said, you can't, you can't talk to me until you, you know the Hebrew. Because there's many meanings behind the Hebrew. And that already breaks the argument. You can't give an argument on something which is translated to another language. It, it diminishes that if this was a language, if, this, if the Torah was from God, let's say, right? That's what I believe. But if it's from God, right? Then why would you translate it? That's a problem. It's meant to be that it came from an infinite source. So that means that the language itself has so much more meaning when it's in its original language. Won't you want to know exactly how it was given with its infinite meanings? Yes. So there was a, I think it was Rabbi Denbo who said the only other language that evokes the spirituality of Hebrew is Greek. Right. And therefore, like, only other language where it's valid to read it you know, the, the Torah. Yes, you're right. That it does say that when the Greeks did translate it, they were, they, there was an allowance from God for them to do it. Meaning that there was somewhat okay for them to do it because Greek language is very poetic and it does have the ability to have that multiple understandings in its language. But even with that, even with that, it's still diminished the power of the original language. Even with that, it's true, but still not as good. Anyway, so, when I'm able to see, this is the world that we're in. When I see reality, I see the world that we're in, and I come and I say that it's not only is it false. When I say that good is bad, and then I say bad is good, right? When I change what's real and what's false, that's the culture that we're in today. That's the world that we're living in today, where we walk around and the things that are completely meaningless, but they are the most focused for, for everyone. It's like, the, it's like God, right? We, what do we worship? We worship, I mean, not us, but what, what is valued in our society today? Actors, right? That's not real. The people are real, but the, the actors in the movie, they die today, they're living the next day. And then the next movie, they're, you know, they're a ghost. And in the movie after, they're in someone's horror movie, right? But that's the people that we value, right? That, that, that's, that's insanity. Why is it insanity? Because that's not truth. To make something which is not true as reality, as if that's everything, is exactly what the Greek culture did, right? That's, that's called darkness. If you want to know what the definition of darkness is, two things. One is blinding you, and the other is saying what's real is, is false, and what's false is real. It takes us off course of what's right in life. It makes us think, oh, this is the way I need to be in life, when it's completely false. No, that's not the right path. And it makes us think that the certain things that we're chasing is going to give us tremendous happiness, but only later on will we realize that it's not. So it's all, it's all right to have to pursue uh, luxuries and physical pleasures, right? So that it helps us and enhances our lives. But to make that the focus, that's a problem. So uh, that is the darkness that they stood for, right? If you look at nature in Hebrew, Hateva, 
is the same gematria, numerical value, as Elohim, which is 86. Hateva is the same gematria, numerical value, as Elohim. When we look at nature, so we say, oh, it just happens by itself. But order doesn't cause, chaos doesn't bring you order. And the more order we see, the more obvious it is to us that there's a plan. It's, it's harder as time progresses to come along and say that what's in this world, right? You look at nature, let's give you an example. Just look at rain. You can't look at rain and say, okay, there's no plan. The way that the drops of rain all, are all separated from each other. Isn't that fascinating? You try from far above to throw drops of water, right? But even when there's wind coming, the, the rain would fall in that direction, right? It would go in that direction, all remaining as drops so that you could still survive and not get absolutely soaked when you're outside, isn't it? You look at the world and there's order in the chaos, right? There's, it's a crazy world, but there's everything so ordered. It's so organized. The nose is exactly above the mouth. Why? <laughs> why? And why does it come out that way? It's obvious. It's a chimney so that when I drink something, I'll be able to smell it. If I have spoiled milk, it will tell me if the milk is spoiled or not. It's like a little, you know. To be fair, like, you don't yes. know what the opposite would be. This is like a long discussion. I don't know if you want to open that kind of I don't mind. I don't mind opening it. Look, you can always... Why is it that... My nose is up here, but I can't tell you if my breast is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. It's, no, answer, you, answer the question. If you see it, wait, no. If you see it as a purpose, if you see it as a goal, as if you see that everything has a plan, you'll be able to answer that question. Answer me the question. If you're looking at it from the lens that everything has a plan, what would be the answer to your question? Let's say it all has a plan. Oh, it's blasphemy to say such a thing. Oh, how dare you say that there's a God. Let's say there's a creator, right? And everything has a plan. What would be the reason that you don't, that you don't smell everything that comes out of your mouth? Would that be pleasant? Maybe it would let you give me a little notification. But you do get that notification sometimes, no? Other people are nice enough. Okay, people are nice enough. Look, God doesn't want you to suffer from your own self. By the way, that opens up another discussion. Why is it that our own smells, right? <laughs> okay, this might get awkward. But our own smell, when we sweat in the gym, right? We sweat in the gym, we feel sweaty, we feel like we need to shower. But we don't get grossed out by ourselves. We like it. Right, right. I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> right? But if you look at everything... If you look at everything as a plan, if you look at everything with a lens of a plan, you'll be able to come. Why is it that the eyebrow is here? It's kind of, right, not mine, someone else's. Right, I don't have eyebrows. My sister's always used to laugh at me. Right, why, why is it that eyebrows come here? Why is it, you know? To stop your sweat from the sweat, from getting into your eyes. Stops the sweat getting into your eye. The eyelashes is another whole thing. And why is it, have you ever had a windscreen on, on your car in order to take the rain off the car? The windshield? What do we have to do? Windscreen wipers. Every two minutes, clean the windows. 
Our eye just cleans itself constantly. It's not a miracle. And these eyes are, are working non-stop. It's not like, the, right? When it rains, they're able to clear itself. We're, we're a walking. Yeah, there's, there's a, I wear contacts in, this, in the water underneath and it's great. I don't, I don't get it. I don't have contacts yet. Okay, good for you. See? So your plan, God planned your body better than mine. I'm getting at the point that everything here in this world has a plan. Whilst the Greek, the Greek culture, what it instilled within us is, oh, that's just the way it's meant to be. That wasn't, what I see is what I see, and there is nothing beyond the physical. And whilst this, the, the light that we are standing for is exactly the opposite of this mentality, which is to see that everything has a purpose. <laughs> really? I don't know. But you don't need a rabbi to prove it. You, you, know, you just need to think a little bit, especially in 2021, where we have DNA, where we have everything which is so, right, in, in so much detail. Every single part of us. Look at water. Omri, water. Right? Normally, when you freeze something, right, what happens to it? Contracts. When you heat something, it expands. Water is different. At a certain point, when it freezes, it expands how come? Isn't it strange? Everything else in, in physics, right? anything in the world, when you, when you cool it down, it contracts, it becomes smaller. Water is the only thing that when you freeze it, it expands. Come on, Eitan, tell us. Yes. Okay, well, they also, have a, they also have a reason, but what's the reason of water? It's pretty obvious. What would happen if water would, sh would, would shrink as well? The ice would sink. The fish wouldn't survive. The oceans would be filled with ice and they would overflow. Yeah, but hypothetically, okay, you can say that there would have been other animals that would have been adapted to like survive to those conditions, right? It's, it's not like, oh, like because water is like this, then these couldn't have existed. Something else would have existed. It's just you can't know about these realities. Really? How would they exist? In our solar system, we don't have a lot. We don't have a lot of uh, uh, not good samples, selected samples. If you look at the entire galaxy, they start looking at different planets and different ecosystems. No, and which ecosystem do, is there a survival that somehow no, there no, isn't? No, We've no. not found anything. Which How many years do we need to? Like hundreds of years. No. So why didn't we find something it's already? So cool like that actually have rabbi, rabbi, we should wrap this up. Yeah. <laughs> but no, you're right. Like in, in, in our case, the, the kind of life that requires water doesn't get rooted in that, right? It's very convenient. Like, rabbi, gets the point. Yeah, for ice to flow, for ice to expand. Okay. All right. I remember when I was in the IDF. I was just, we were just in the pool, and I was looking at what. Look, look at this, this, this substance that we're just floating. Why are we floating in a substance? Why is it not like rocks? Like we're, everything I look around me, I see is solid. But this stuff is like, it's solid, but it goes through my fingers. What are you talking about? The Dead Sea? No. <laughs> <laughs> Being in an Air Force base, floating oh. in a pool. With oh, wow. <laughs> 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 Cannot relate. Anyway. Um, there's... I guess there's a lot there's a lot more that I had to share sure. but never mind never mind okay
I guess we'll we'll finish here. I do want to I do want to say this that there is a very interesting question. There's a mitzvah to show the miracle that happened, okay? Which is that on Hanukkah is different than any other holiday. We had many miracles which I mentioned, but there's a specific mitzvah to show the miracle of Hanukkah more than anything else. So let's say matzah was also a miracle that we got free and all the plagues and everything. But we don't have a mitzvah to sit by the front door and, and make sure that everyone sees us eat the matzah, right? Thank goodness. Right? We don't have a mitzvah on Purim to read the Megillah at the front door. There is a mitzvah to read it in synagogue with a minyan, but there's no specific mitzvah to say the story at the front door. Why is it that with Hanukkah specifically, we have to show off the mitzvah, the miracle? It's a miracle that we're celebrating. And that's a miracle that we want to put to the public. Why? Because we're a light onto the nations. Well, <laughs> what do you guys think? I think that's like an auxiliary. To that's walk an auxiliary along, rather than like talk the primary. Huh? The answer, the answer is that the miracle of Hanukkah didn't happen in public. It actually only happened in the temple. When we had one jug of oil that lasted for eight days, not everyone saw that. Not even small, all the Jews? Not all the Jews. Oh, now he fabricated it. Not even all the Jews saw it. Now, by the way, we had miracles going on throughout every single night whilst we were in the temple until this point with the menorah. Every single night, it, one of the candles will stay lit till the next day, which was a miracle on its own. But that we don't celebrate. We sp- celebrate specifically this miracle and... and and specifically this one we put to the window. Why? Because it wasn't really a miracle that everyone saw. What does that teach me? It means you want to you wanna give, you want to, like when you have miracles, you want to make sure that the whole world knows about them. That in your life, there are miracles that happen every day. Huh. But we think that it's just regular darkness. Mm-hmm. Right? We think it's like the Greeks. We think that it has no meaning. Right? In your life, there's a lot of hidden miracles too. But what do we want to do? We want to bring them out. Take them to the window in ourselves and shine them outwards. Look at them. Focus on them. Because I can guarantee you that if you do, you will see those miracles in your life too. You have in you tremendous miracles happening every day. There's, there's a question actually. Why on the first day do we celebrate the miracle? The, the oil was enough to last for how many days? Eight. Eight. So why the, first day are we, why the first day are we celebrating? The first day wasn't a miracle. It was enough to last for one day. It was enough to last for one day to celebrate Hanukkah for seven days. Why? Because the first day wasn't a miracle. But each day they didn't know how much longer it would last. Okay, that's one answer. that it, They didn't know how much it was going to last. Some say that it went down, then it went back up again. So that was a miracle too of the first day. The There's many different answers. Huh? They found the oil in the first place. Okay, that's, that's another answer that they, they found. Oil, yes, they, they wrecked all the oil. Right. Somehow one, one was found. There's some say that the finding of the oil was a miracle. There's another answer. That even nature is a miracle. Who says that nature isn't a miracle? There's but one rabbi. That oil is able to light the fire. Like yes. That, that oil is a The nature in itself is a miracle. And that needs to be celebrated. There's a Talmud which says, Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, a big rabbi in the Talmud, is, they were very poor. And once before Shabbat, never in their life did they not light candles for Shabbat. 
And just before Shabbat, this is way after the story of Hanukkah, by the way. Another miracle that happened way after Hanukkah. And they only had vinegar. And his daughter says to his uh, father, Abba, we only have vinegar. We don't have, we, don't have wine, we don't have any oil. Nothing left. We have no oil for Shabbat candles. So he said, the one that says that oil can light can also say that vinegar lights. Put vinegar inside. She put vinegar inside and ate lit as well. Because nature is only a miracle. It's only not a miracle because we get used to it. Comes a habit. And here's the one last question I'm going to ask you, and I'll finish with that. There's another big question that people ask. There were two miracles that happened on Hanukkah. What are they? The oils, and we won the war. 5,000 Jews, they think of Maccabees as like these strong six pack dudes with skirts. Uh -uh. But really, they were just like kids. No, they were even way less. They were malnourished. They were. They were rabbis that study Torah all day. And they said, They said, who is like you, strong in the name of Hashem? And they said, we're going to go. 5,000 of them against over 60,000, 70,000 soldiers. Pilim. They used their tanks of those days were elephants. They walked straight through and just knock out everyone. Hundreds of elephants walking forward. Can you imagine? Stampede. And they went, they fought, and they won. That's an amazing miracle. And we pray. When we pray, we mention the miracle that happened, that we fought the war and we won. So why are we not celebrating that? We're celebrating the oil. We do it in the prayers. We mention it in the prayers. But we don't really celebrate that. We focus much more on the light than the war. How come? What's the answer? Huh? Yeah. One answer is that light is what matters to us, not war. Right? Winning is not our strength. It's not, our, it's not what matters to us. Being, bringing light to the world is what matters. It's one of the answers. There's another answer. Is it because like, wars are short-lived, whereas spirituality... You know, yes, hard. spirituality is something that's long and lasts long. There's another answer. If we... Winning war... Yeah, go on, Aitan, what were you going to say? Well, we, we won lots of wars, but... Okay, winning wars is something that we did many times. Here's, here's based on what you're saying as well. Winning a war, yeah, could be translated as it was us. We won. We were lucky because it was done in a natural way. Winning a war doesn't mean that you can attribute it to God. You'll win a war, you'll say, okay, we were lucky, we were strong, we were smart. We did it right. We had the right power. My strength did it. My arms did it. My muscles did it. I'm the one. It was our arms. It was our strength. And what happened? The oil lasted for eight days also. What did that remind us? The oil, when we celebrate the oil, it's reminding us that the war also was not something that we won on our own. Don't think that the war was yours. Even the little oil, that was a miracle. You think the war wasn't your, was your miracle? You couldn't even find oil and you had to rely on a miracle. You think you can win a war? Right? You think you can win wars and then you find COVID? Right? You think you can... Suddenly, there's these little things that when, you, when they succeed, it reminds you that everything until this point, right? Everything is... That was also part of that miracle as well. So when we celebrate the lights, we actually are celebrating the winning of the war as well. 
Because what we're saying psychologically is... If we didn't win the war, we wouldn't be able to light the lights. Well, if we didn't... The winning, winning, we having the lights... Job. What? We wouldn't even have that jug. We wouldn't even have the temple or a Hanukkah or a menorah. Exactly. Well, winning the war wouldn't have given it us. But also, having those lights and the miracle told us that the war itself was a miracle. Otherwise, I would have translated it as me. Me, me, me. Like we always would. Whenever we succeed, oh, I'm, I'm good, I'm smart, it's my win. We attribute it to ourselves. And Judaism doesn't want you to do that. You attribute it to God, never attribute success to yourself. Okay? So, um, anyway, so that's uh, some of the ideas. There's a lot more, but uh, I think that was enough for the night. And I hope you guys enjoyed. So, Kanukasamea. Yes. <laughs>